Hi, I'm Dr. Susan, and thanks for joining us today, where I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Mary Jo Rapini, licensed clinical therapist, specializing in intimacy and relationships. And today we're talking about relationship dynamics and family dynamics during this coronavirus outbreak. Dr. Susan here, and I'm joined remotely by my friend and colleague, Mary Jo Rapini, who many of you know, she's a very well-known uh, psychotherapist and relationship and intimacy expert here in Houston, MaryJoRapini.com. Hi, Mary Jo, how's hey, it going? Hey, so glad to be with you today. And yeah, as you can see, we're sitting more than six feet apart. I'm here in the studio and Mary Jo's at home, so we're doing our social distancing. But um, she and I both have similar interests and decided to get together and have a discussion with you all about family and relationship dynamics and how this coronavirus outbreak is affecting our relationships and what we can potentially do to avoid some pitfalls and maybe make things a little bit better. So one of my friends sent me a funny video. I have to admit, I don't know the source. So if you know who this is or you know who I should credit it to, please let me know. But we're gonna go ahead and play it because we both thought it was funny and um, we can start off on a light foot. Let's see. Hi everybody, just thought I'd give you a quick update. Um, I think we're on day, I don't know, whatever day it is. Uh, but I just wanna tell you that here at home we're just having such a great time everybody is just wonderful they um you know we get up in the morning and we're just so fortunate so with, uh, how well we get along and spending all this time together and i mean we're we're doing puzzles we're we're helping each other um you know, in times like this, it just oh, brings totally. everybody um, close to the next level. You know, the kids are in their 20s. I've been married to Charlie uh, for, I don't know, 28 <laughs> years. And I, I just can't, I'm just overwhelmed with um, appreciation of who we are. Um, as a family, and I just cannot wait for the uh, the next four weeks that we're just going to be here at home, and I'm just really fortunate. So I thought I'd give you a quick update. Yeah, I can relate a little bit to that. Now we don't want to make light of this; it's a very serious situation. But I uh, do appreciate a little levity around the situation, so we can start the conversation. So Mary Jo, tell me how this has been showing up with your patients and your life. I think overall in my direct family, it's been really stressful because I can't see my grandchildren and um, my daughter who lives in Dallas, she's pregnant. I can't see her. And I just noticed what, how important my connections are to me because I have a lot of friends and I can't get together with them. I have um, a team that helps me do everything. We're all working remotely and we can't hug each other. And I really, really miss that. I, I didn't expect, I think if anything, Susan, it's really helped me understand 
how important those connections are. Yeah, I, I understand that. I think that's really true. I have three teenagers at home right now. They're all <laughs> taking school remotely. So I get to have them in the house all day, which is wonderful, but it's completely turned upside down any type of schedule that we used to have. And just trying to reestablish some kind of normalcy has been something that we're still struggling with. Is that something that you hear about too from your clients? Uh -huh. Absolutely. I think just getting in a routine, you know, whenever you go on a vacation, it I don't know about you, but it takes us a couple of days just to kind of gel together. And I've noticed that same scenario with this, except we're all out of our comfort zone. Like there are there's so many uncertainties that I think that's causing a lot of problems in families, in marriages because everybody is scared. And when you're scared, you go back to reacting the way you learned as a child. We all regress in times like this. And I think that's really important to understand that not only the kids regress, but the parents regress. And they you know, get into habits they watch their parents do. And so- That's really interesting. Patterns is, you know, a lot of parents taught their children to use the silent treatment as a form of when they get angry, they just shut down. And you'll see couples doing that now, like couples that grew up with that will give each other the silent treatment and not talk to each other. That causes a huge problem when you're confined together in quarantine. Yeah, it seems like, and I'm married too, when we're put together in a small space and we don't have the ability to leave for most of the hours of the day, that it almost just puts all of those little cracks in your relationship under a microscope and everything seems to be much bigger than it was before. Is that something that you relate to? I like the way you said that. It's really true. And, you know, I think because of the uncertainty, we're all afraid. And so we project that fear onto our partner, but it doesn't come across. We aren't, we, most of us are not emotionally mature enough to say, I'm afraid and I need your comfort. So we attack each other because I don't know if most partners would know what to do if their partner actually came to them and told them the truth. So instead of that, we put our expectations that my partner's gonna take care of me, you know, my children are going to behave and the children, for the most part, react to our stress. Right. So mm. I don't know if you're seeing that, but man, I, I see it all the time. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important to understand that everybody is scared right now. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different, I think, than some other situations where something might be happening to me. Yes. And I'm scared, but everyone else is OK. In this situation, everybody's scared. So That's for me, funny. I've actually gotten quite a lot of um, comfort out of that in a way of knowing that this isn't personal and that if someone else is reacting towards me, that they're just scared. Right. And to bring out that grace and forgiveness that sometimes I'm definitely a little bit lacking in. Well, I'm really glad you said that, Susan, because I, I think people are reacting. I think. You know, many of us don't take a breath to stop and wait, wait a minute. You know, they're just reacting. They're, this is not 
directed at me, really. I mean, it looks like it is, but it's really their reaction to not being in control. We all have this sense that we're in control. And I think if nothing else is taught us, we are not in control. That's right. Yeah, there's so many things that we do to try to create the illusion of control. And one of the blessings of this, I think, at least for me, is that it's really highlighted that we're not in control of very much. Mm -hmm. And to be very careful to determine what we can control and what we can't. And give a little grace around those things that we can't control. And just understand that our partners and our children are struggling too. And that everybody's scared. Yeah. It's so, it's so important. I heard a funny story this morning. I was talking to... I. Um, I'm a coach as well, as many of you know, uh, drsusan.com, you can learn about that. But I was talking to my coach and he was mentioning, this is a very wise man, in my opinion. Uh, his wife was on Zoom with some friends and the conversation was going on longer than he wanted. And his dinner was getting called and he walked up and told her she needed to get off. And she turned around and said, you're an asshole. And he said, <laughs> you're not supposed to say you're an asshole, we're in confinement. And she did a little flip because they're very highly trained people and said, I'm sorry, honey, I meant you're an angel. <laughs> I just thought that was so cute because they took that little pause and they were able to turn this potential major disaster just by realizing, okay, let's stop and do something different. Do you have any mm -hmm. other tips or tricks like that? Well, I think just I love that you're you're thinking and that that really made you stop because what we say, what comes out of our mouth many times is so hurtful. And it's important that you understand before you say it, you may say something and then later go, you know, I didn't mean it. But once it's out of your mouth, once your partner hears it, it has a significant change to the way they feel about you and about the relationship. So I do think if you say something like that, that's hurtful, it's important that you go back right away. You take a breath, um, you know, try to try to restore the grace that you've been given to someone else and restore that. I, I, yeah. I think it's so difficult being confined for a time that we don't know how long. And meanwhile, the news continues to tell us all about how we're losing money, we're losing people, people are dying. And I, I think if nothing else, a really good self-care method is to limit your news. You know, shut it off, have a certain amount of time and then shut it off so that you don't go back to it till later at night again, if at all. Mm. Yeah, I love that advice. It's almost like changing the channel in your brain. I, I love the idea that we choose what we pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And I'm not suggesting that we don't pay attention to this at all and pretend it's not happening, but to limit the attention that we pay to the news, like you said, Mary Jo, and mm -hmm. make sure we're paying an equal amount of attention to things that give us self-care, remember gratitude, remember the good things that are going on as well not burying our head in the sand, but at least balancing them. That's right. You know, I heard this really great um, idea. It was a, actually someone had written about it, and I don't know who, 
But they said you're going to do better if you use blocks of time. So when you get up in the morning, you know, you plan it the night before from nine to 10. And I know this sounds really structured. If you're type A, like I am, you're going to love this. You get up in the morning and from six to eight thirty, you're going to read scripture or you're going to do your Bible study, whatever it is that gives you the strength, the inner strength. You're doing your soul work. And then 8.30 to 9, you eat breakfast. And then after that, you can go for a walk. Then take a block from 10 to 12. I'm going to work. And then maybe over your lunch hour, you have a lunch hour. And you can do that with your partner. You can like plan a picnic if you have something to look forward to with your partner. And they do too makes it more fun and then plan your afternoon the same way and if you have children it becomes more challenging because you're not only looking for your energy levels you're looking what's going to work best for them and them completing their schoolwork but i think the more you you include things like what you're eating eat healthy movement whatever movement is to you some people are runners some people want to go for a walk both those are advantageous. Both of them will help keep your immune system up so that if you get this, you'll be in a better place to get well and survive. Mm, that's really good advice. So there's some uh, actual medical evidence that movement and these self-care activities do reduce our chance of getting sick or if we get sick, we're not as sick. But I also love just the emotional part of how important it is to have some kind of structure and schedule when it feels like the rug's been pulled out from under our feet. So I was uh, talking about that a moment ago with my kids, just that our schedule's completely turned upside down with them having school at home and their lunch hour's different and their sports are all canceled. And so we've really tried to put some structure back in place just so that we have an idea of what's going to happen during the day. Even though we know we don't have any control in the ultimate case, it's important to have some effect on what's going on during our day, don't you think? Just to give us that sense of peace. Oh yeah, and they've done numerous studies and found that people cooperate better, they, they respond more peacefully, and kids do a lot better with managing their behaviors and self-soothing when there is a routine. The more parents stick with some sort of a routine, and what's normal for you is gonna be what you create. Don't feel like you have to do what your best friend does, or someone else, or even what Dr. Susan and I say, sit down with your partner and basically lay out a plan for your family that you all can adhere to and feel good about, and then make that your structure for the day. Your kids are gonna do best with your plan. Yeah, I really like that idea. And it's hard, I think, as a parent to keep remembering that our kids are scared too. And one thing that I've realized having teenagers is that they're so intuitive and they've overheard my conversations on the phone and heard what's going on on the news. And so being able to address their fear as well and make sure that's an open conversation, I think is really important. So how do we talk to our kids about this? You know, I, I like that question. And I, I saw that someone you knew had sent that question to you, Susan. I think the most 
important thing with kids is that parents be honest. And parents admit, use the word fear. You know, I'm fearful. But always leave the child knowing that no matter what you face, you're going to face it together and you are going to protect them. You may not have any idea, but more than likely you have a like a plan, a family plan that you're going to resort back to and reassure them that you will be responsible for taking care of them. I think encouraging kids to um, talk about what their fears are. And then when they tell you, rather than dismissing them, you can say something like, wow, I, I really understand that. That resonates a little bit with me too. And if you can share something from your past when you had a fear somewhat similar to what they expressed to you, when parents listen to kids, and don't try to say, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, that, that would never happen. I think children feel more valued because even though the parent is trying to reassure them in those other scenarios, like, oh, that's ridiculous. What the child hears is, you know, what I said was silly or preposterous. When what you need to do to build up your child's inner confidence is let them know, wow, that's a, that's really a deep feeling. I, I, I understand that. But, you know, what I would do to help reassure you with that. So I, yeah, and I, dialogue. I really like that idea of teaching our children. And this is maybe a great opportunity to do that, mm -hmm. to be able to express their feelings and that yeah. whatever they're feeling is okay. And if we're able to m mirror that to them and show them that, yes, I can be scared and it's okay to be sad, it's okay to be angry, and to let those feelings be present, that this might be a, a great outcome of this situation, that families are gonna be able to talk more about their feelings, at least I hope so. I do too. You know, Susan, I've had couples come in and they've been married for years. And when I'll bring something up, one of them will, will become very vulnerable and say, you know, I, I'm afraid to say that to him. And I'll encourage them and say, well, he's right here now. You Maybe you can take this opportunity and say it now with me here. And when they say it, their partner just starts crying and feels so betrayed. Like, why didn't you tell me you were afraid? Why, why didn't you trust me with your fear? And that's the same thing that happens with children. If you trust your children enough to say, I'm afraid, your children many times will trust you in return and start telling you many of their vulnerabilities, many of their fears. And parents can actually really learn who their children are and vice versa. And it turns out that, you know, it, it's not like what people think. People think, well, then the kid will get more afraid because nobody will be in control. That's not what happens. The child sees the parents as more leaders-like. They see their parent more as someone they want to, met, to follow and mm. to learn from. They trust their parent. So, yeah, that's a really beautiful idea that this could be an opportunity to become more vulnerable 
with yes. our loved ones. And I know that I've experienced when people are more vulnerable with me, whether it's my friends or my husband or my children, that we do become more connected and trust each other more. So, you know, not making light of the situation at all, but if we're in this close, connected environment, it's a real opportunity to try out some of these things that we haven't tried before. I agree. I, you know, I put a post on Twitter the other day that was very popular. And what, what I posted is just look around at who's in your home that you're quarantined with. And before you respond, remember, each of those people are coming from a place in their heart that has been broken and it's not healed yet. And so you have an opportunity to either be part of their healing or part of their deterioration. Like you'll just make the hurt deeper. And what an opportunity. I mean, some days I'm really good at it. Some days I fail miserably. But it's more making that your intention. Because if we go through all of this and we don't set a daily intention, like what's going to be my intention today with the people I live with that, that are really responsible to and that I'm sharing this crazy time with? If you set an intention, it gives you something to work on. And you're going to come out of this process better. Mm, I love that idea of intention setting. That actually reminds me of uh, one of my teachers who always asked the question, how can I bring love to this situation? Mm -hmm. And just an easy intention to think about when I'm about to open my mouth or bring my opinion to a situation, just to think, especially in this closed environment, how, how can I bring love to this situation? Is what I'm about to do going to be nurturing or potentially harmful? Mm -hmm. We got some really good questions from our viewers that we could start with, um, if you'd like to, Mary Jo. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna just put my reading glasses on here because I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, so. Some of you ladies know that Mary Jo and I both specialize in intimacy and sexual relationships. And Jeanette was mentioning, she said, uh, I heard about a projected baby boom in December, but honestly, there's not much sex going on in this house with all this stress. Is that normal? I don't feel like having sex at all. It feels like this is creating distance between myself and my husband. What do you suggest for helping with intimacy? Well, I. I think the most important thing I would tell Jeanette is sex, sex is more than just, I mean, intimacy is more than just the physical act of sex. Intimacy, there's five different types and those are touch and spiritual and experimental and just being, you know, being good friends. All those are important. So if sex, if it feels too close and many women say this, everybody's there and women women don't respond with a lot of stress feeling sexy or horny i think what's really important is to give yourself a break jeanette and focus on the areas that you do feel good would you like a back rub would would your partner like to share a bath with you look for simple little ways you can connect maybe you'd like to have you know have like um put a fire on in the backyard and sit out in the evening with a glass of wine when the kids are in bed. 
it's all these little things, being willing to get up an hour earlier in the morning when it's still dark and have hot coffee and hold hand. I mean, those you may say, well, that's not a big deal. It's a big deal under stress. And this is considered a very stressful time in marriages. I think the little things turn out to be the incredibly big things in connecting and keeping your relationship high. Yeah, I, that really resonates with me because I'll tell you, I generally have a pretty active sex life, but right now that hasn't been the first thing on my mind. But I have been going for a bike ride every day with my husband and we'll joke with each other about how his butt looks good or something like that. <laughs> something yeah, to I love that. Keep That's the intimacy fantastic. together. Well, you but know, too, you when we're both scared, we're kind of tired at night. It's honestly, I just, I want to go to sleep. And that's okay, but we're still connected. Yeah. Absolutely. You and can honestly, I'll add, Jeanette, I'm not sure about this baby boom idea. You know, when we have a hurricane or a flood or some other more uh, defined events, we do see a baby boom afterwards. I think this is a little bit different, though, because with the unknown ending and the level of fear and stress being so much higher, I think this baby boom idea might not turn out to be an issue. So I think you're in good company and that you're normal and there's, there's, you're experiencing what most of us are right now. So self-compassion is also really important. It's true. Give yourself well, Yeah. <laughs> so I can resonate with this one. Uh, Janice says, to Mary Jo, I'm really trying to stay positive, but I found myself leaving my I'm sorry, losing my temper several times and yelling at my husband or the kids. And then I feel so bad about that because I know they're scared too. How can we recommend our mood swings that everyone seems to be going through? Recommend managing our mood swings. That's a tough one. I think the number one thing is to know yourself, know what you're feeling and to know the difference. Like, am I having a bad day? Or am I having underlying depression or anxiety? We're picking up a lot of people in the mental health field who have actually had a chronic depression. And what ends up happening is when they're in a stressful time, it exacerbates it. So they're becoming more moody. Their moods are more up and down. And in that case, I would call my well woman doctor like Susan. And then usually those physicians have a list of psychotherapists that you can talk to. All psychotherapists are doing like therapy online right now. There are very few of them are seeing people in the office because it's not healthy for you or them. But at the same time, you may be able to be with a therapist who's, who starts like a random video every day with you for 10 minutes, just to kind of help, you know, make you feel better about what you're going through. It, you'll know the difference because a bad day is when you slip and you yell once in a while. If you do it all the time though, then it becomes more of maybe an anxiety issue underneath or a depression. I think the other thing that you really have to do is practice good self-care. And you don't practice it once a week, you have to practice it every day, Janice, doing something for yourself. You know, what makes you feel good? Make sure you get your basic needs like a shower, breakfast, have time for yourself so you can take care of yourself. You can't take care of other people if you're always taking 
if, if you have nothing left for you. Yeah, and you know, we hear that all the time, don't we? But I think in this particular moment in time, it's the time to actually act on it. Yes. We've heard for years we need to take care of ourselves and make time for ourselves, yeah. but I think many of us have put it off for later. So I personally have started doing an exercise class every morning at 8 o'clock on Zoom before I even talk to anybody <laughs> because I'm probably a nicer person. And going for a walk, doing the bike ride every day with my husband. And, you know, yes, I'm leaving my kids at home and I'm ignoring them for that time being, but they're going to be more okay if I can show up as a wise and loving presence who's calm and has my moods under control rather than ignoring all my own needs and just losing it. Susan, Which has happened. <laughs> another great idea is um, you know, making a toolbox, a stress care toolbox for, for yourself. And you can make that out of a shoe box or whatever and model that for your children. Take a shoe box and they make a comfort box. And, you know, I was trained with this method that basically in your shoe box or in your special box, if you want to buy a nice one or if you have something that's really pretty, put the things in there that comfort you. It might be a chocolate bar. It might be a, a perfume scent. When you smell a perfume, if you're really moody and you just put a like a, a splash of per, perfume or cologne, maybe it's your husband's cologne that you really like on you, it calms you down. So will things like, you know, holding something. Sometimes people grow up with remembering the, the feel of um, a mother's silk, or a scarf, put that in the box. Whatever makes you feel calm is what should go in that box. And sometimes it's something as simple as these little quotes and you just take time out to read your quotes. The box is portable. You take the box wherever you go. If you're going in the car and you know you're gonna be in a lot of traffic, have your box next to you. And teaching children that, like they get a stuffed animal or if they're older kids, they get some some gum or, you know, whatever your kids headphones, whatever it is they want in their stress or comfort box is really important to honor that. And it's just another way of learning self-soothing. We've heard a lot about self-soothing, but most of us don't know what to do, how to do it. And that's one reason this virus is such a problem because everybody touches their face. And you know why? Because it's self-soothing. It's a mm. human's self-soothe. You know, they touch their neck. They touch their face all the time. If you watch a video, and I was happened to see this the other day, it, it is incredible, especially during stressful times. So rather than touch your face, you're gonna touch your comfort box. It's gonna probably be healthier and make you feel more relaxed. I love that idea. I am going to go yeah. home and make a comfort box. And I remember <laughs> when I was a little child, I had a favorite stuffed animal and I never was a thumb sucker, but I would rub the ear. It was a, my blue doggy. And I would rub my blue doggy's ear on my nose and that would help, uh, that would help me go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And he's long gone now, but I think children know how to do this intuitively. Yes. And as adults, we sort of forget those self-soothing skills, don't we? 
Mm-hmm. And if we turn that, to other things like alcohol or things that are not as uh, healthy. Cigarettes. But, you know, in your, in your comfort or your stress care toolbox, have things like little bags of carrots or whatever veggie it is. Because one of the reasons people get into these food addictions is they stop at a fast food place. They don't have their box with them. And then they stop and get something unhealthy. And then they start this whole guilt process. Like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have eaten that. I'm gaining weight. And then, you know, the negative thoughts can just overwhelm you and make you moody and make you lash out. That's the best takeaway from this so far. I am going to go make a comfort box with my family. I love it. I have so one. I, I would love to see it sometime. Um, so Mary Jo and I like to talk about sex a lot, and Kelly has a question for Mary Jo. She says, I'd like to use this time that I have with my husband to explore some new ways of being intimate, but I'm not sure how to bring this up with him. He seems really stressed out right now, but I'm hoping we can use this opportunity as time to break some old habits. Well, that seems like a really good idea. What do you suggest, Mary Jo? I would start out with foreplay. I would just, I would just start talking about parts of his body that he likes, that he likes touch. I think there's an exercise that many couples really enjoy doing, especially during stressful times. And that is just lying um, in bed together. You don't have to be totally naked, but you can be lightly clad, maybe a camisole on and some shorts. He could just wear some boxers. And then just start like giving him a massage and seeing what feels good and make sure then that he has an opportunity to please you in that way. You know, the most important thing about it, about sex is it's an opportunity to please your partner, to show them how much you love them and how much you want to please them. You want them to feel good. So if you start with foreplay and different ideas about that, you can use different textures. You can use ice cubes, which are free. You can use feathers on people's skin. And many people love that. There's, you can still order things. And I have a great company that I order things from that they're still delivering. And they, you know, they're, they're wonderful sex toys. Um, they're sturdy. And they're made, they're made professionally. Like when you get the box, it's well made. And we can put that down as a link if you want to check them out. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. This is an opportunity. We have some more time to spend together. And what I found a lot in my own relationship and with my patients is that we do kind of get stuck in our old habitual ways. And sometimes we need a, like something to break that habit and and honestly what better opportunity <laughs> to break the habit than this complete change so we could use this as an opportunity to introduce some more uh, different ways of being intimate if if we wanted to and for myself personally I found that sex is a really great stress reducer just to throw that in and it does produce a hormone called oxytocin which is relaxing and connecting so if we're able to break through whatever stress or tiredness that we're feeling and just reach that point of intimacy without 
spouse, it can be so, or a partner, it can be so connecting and valuable. I have a client who is like he tells me his wife loves hotels. So while they're in quarantine, he went and made their bedroom like this one hotel. He made signs and he scheduled a date. And then he, she said the whole room looked like a hotel room. And she said, yes, we had sex and it was wonderful. But she reminds me um, of the importance of for stress, for stress relief, guys, guys really enjoy sex as a way to rid themselves or to help them manage their stress. Women need to escape. Women need to feel like they're desired and that they're escaping their routine. And if you're in quarantine with all these kids, then you're gonna need to have some room or set up some part of the room that's different. So you can actually feel like you're escaping where you are and then with your lover who is with your husband. And I think that just that mindset, um, so much of sex is between our ears. You know, it's our brain is our biggest sex organ. It's you rethinking, taking care of your sex life. And in order to do that, you have to own it. You have to say, this is good for me. This is gonna help my immune system. It's gonna help me calm down and I am going to have sex and I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, that's right. I often tell patients that sometimes if we've had a break in intimacy for a while, it's almost like going to the gym. Yeah. We, we know it's good for us. We sometimes even need to schedule it. And once you start going, it gets easier and you start seeing those benefits. But this is a great time to make those schedules, put exercise, physical movement, some form of intimacy on your schedule. And just know that there really is medical benefit from that. We're producing hormones that help our immune system, help us to relax, help to reduce stress, help to improve connection, which is really going to help when we're all stuck together in the house for another month or two. Dr. Susan, I think a lot of people, because when we're growing up, we, you know, we get sexual urges and then we have sex, but as women especially get older, and this might be true for men too, many men it is, I think that you can't wait for that urge to have sex. You have to start thinking, I am gonna have sex. And then it's like you said, as you start doing it, then you really enjoy it. But it's just telling yourself how important it is and then starting that journey, starting that intention to have sex. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Well, we're coming to the end of our time and it's been such a wonderful experience to be with you. It's been something new for both of us to do this remotely like this. So I'm gonna end with one last question. Um, Sarah says, Mary Jo, do you have a list of suggestions that I could share with my family about how to make some positive changes out of this crazy time? I'd like to use this as an opportunity to create some more healthy habits with my family. And we touched on a few of those. I love the comfort box, right. the schedule, the mm -hmm. making intimacy and movement a priority. Yes. What other nuggets of wisdom do you have to share with us? Well, and I think that I really love that question. There's so many things. 
But I think, you know, anything you do with the whole family is going to be really important. Like one of the things I like that I heard Mattress Max say is sit, make it a point to three, at least three nights a week, sit down and enjoy dinner together without any TV or anything else. Design and then design one night as game night. You don't have to do it every night, but one night during the week should be game night. Take turns, like have a competition weekly and let each person in the family be responsible for one dinner. And, you know, you can like in my family, it's usually uh, myself with one of my daughters when we go on vacations and then the other daughter and her dad and then we'll change partners so that we're each making a dinner. There's something about creating the dinner and making it with love and laughter that when you eat it, it tastes better. And I think the meal sharing of the meals, and it could be because I am Italian, that is so important to me, breaking the bread together. And this week, mm. I encourage all of you that it is a holy week and to observe, you know, maybe praying together, maybe giving thanks. Write down one thing you're grateful for every day and then share those before dinner at night. I also recommend a suggestion box in every home. And this is with or without quarantine, where everybody can put in honest suggestions of what they think would, would make something easier. You know, if there's a problem in the family, in the way you communicate, you know, toss out the question. Say, do any of you have ideas how we can improve this and if you do, please put it in the suggestion box, because basically we're all on level ground with with where we're at. And the kids have a lot of ideas of how you can help temper moods, how you can help everybody have more fun, how you can have more space alone. Having time alone is the single most important thing you can do in quarantine to preserve your marriage and to help the kids learn how to deal with issues like boredom and not being entertained, which are so important in building resistance or resilience that I think it's very wise if you make sure that out of every day, there is a half hour of quiet time, uh, time and space, whatever you want to call it, where everybody goes to their own space and has a half hour of solitude. And I just, I think more families, when they do that, the research is showing they feel so much closer. And this is in quarantine or not, but it's really significant in quarantine. Mm, I love those suggestions. Thank you so I much, Mary Jo. You're and you welcome. can connect with Mary Jo Rapini at maryjorapini.com. And you can connect with me at drsusan.com or completewomenscarecenter.com. We're both still interacting with people by telemedicine during this crisis, so we'd love to hear from you. And we've really enjoyed being with you here today. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Thank you all. And Susan, thank, thank you. you. Let me help you help others. Uh, a lot of fun. We're going to make something good out of this. Yes, we are. <laughs> Thanks a lot.